Welcome to The Fiscal Feminist, a conversation about women, money, and priorities. Hi, this is Kimberly Davis, and I'm The Fiscal Feminist. I'm also a partner and managing director in the Bonson Group, which is a wealth management practice with offices in Newport Beach, California, and New York City. So it's been a little bit of time since I've last done a blog, and the reason is there was a confluence of life circumstances that prevented me from doing so. First, I was moving, so that's always a big deal. As we all know, it takes time and effort and all that. But in the middle of all of that, I had another situation occur that really knocked me for a loop and really has taken a lot of my time to resolve. So I am going to tell you all about this situation that happened this story, and I hope that you find it informative and a heads up about what to do concerning cyber security. I just want to say, as a preface, the following incident that I'm about to describe to you involved my personal identity, my personal phone number, and my personal financial accounts. It had nothing to do with my professional communications with the Bonson Group or any of the technology that we use here at the Bonson Group, which is fully encrypted. So everything with my professional realm uh, was secure and nothing was compromised. So that's just a note to keep in mind. So let me tell you my story. My cell phone suddenly had no service on a Tuesday in April. What? My bill was fully paid and up to date. Of course, I'm the fiscal feminist, so I endeavor to be financially organized. I had a doctor's appointment in the early afternoon, left work, went over to the doctor's, checked my email, went up to the doctor's for about 20 minutes, and when I came out, my phone wasn't working. It was a half hour later. I had no phone service, nothing, zilch. I was wondering if there was a national emergency, because I knew I'd paid my bill, so what was I going to do? I couldn't really call Verizon, because I didn't have any phone service, but then I figured out that I could dial star 616 or 611, I can't even remember what the number is, but I dialed the star number to get to someone at Verizon. And I did, in fact, get a customer representative who who came on and I said, my phone isn't working. And oddly, the customer representative said to me, we at Verizon have no record of you or your phone number. How could that be? I've had that phone number for 10 years and I've had that same account number for 10 years. I also have two other numbers associated with that phone number, so I was mystified as to how this could be. So it took about two hours, and waiting on the line with Verizon, talking to a variety of people there, and Verizon determined that my phone number had been ported. What did that mean? Essentially what that means is when a phone number has been ported, it means a fraudster has taken over your mobile phone account and your phone number, and seizes control of your phone number. This then allows them to use your phone number to seize control of many of your other accounts, including your financial accounts. And this is exactly what happened to me. So essentially what happened was the fraudsters knew my phone number, they knew my Verizon account number, and they knew my PIN number. And that allowed them to go into T-Mobile and represent themselves as me or do it online and take over my phone number, at which point I no longer had any phone service. So the next thing I knew after this whole experience with Verizon, during the two-hour period that I was on the phone with them, 
I was getting emails from my bank notifying me that I had and notifying and confirming that I had changed all my internet banking login details and I had categorically not done that. I was frantic. When I tried to log into my bank account, I was locked out. The fraudsters had taken control of my bank accounts as though they were me and they were now wiring money outside of my bank accounts to other people's bank accounts. The problem was I didn't even know that without having spoken to the bank because I couldn't see anything online because it would not allow me to enter into the site because it no longer thought I was me. I actually had to go to the bank to present myself because I had to present all my identification for them to confirm that I was in fact Kimberly Davis. So it was very, very, very stressful. And it became more stressful when the bank was questioning whether I had in some way uh, colluded with the fraudsters or if I had been irresponsible with my personal information and so on and so forth. So while I was at the bank dealing with all of that, I then got a notification from American Express that these guys were using my card and it was just a downward spiral. So it was a very, very trying experience. So where are we in 2019 with cybersecurity breaches and identity fraud? I never even had heard of phone numbers being ported, so this was a complete newsflash to me. So I decided I would do a little research, and according to a study by Javelin Advisor Services, after three years of successive increased fraud rates, the overall fraud incident rate fell in 2018. That's good news. However, this was in the area of fighting card fraud, and unfortunately, there's been a resurgence in higher impact fraud, such as account fraud, account takeover, and misuse of non-card accounts. So they figured out the debit card play, and we've been able to prevent that, but now the fraudsters have moved on to other areas. Mobile phone account takeovers are on the rise, increasing by almost 60% in 2018, and that's what happened to me. New account fraud is also on the rise, with losses increasing from $3 billion in 2017 to $3.4 billion in 2018. Common targets for these are mortgages, student loans, and credit cards. Another recent study has stated that as of 2018, 60 million Americans have been affected by identity theft, which is almost 20% of the population. Malicious software, known as malware, is now not only affecting laptops and desktop computers, but also now mobile devices. New malware variants for mobile devices increased 65% in 2017, and many malicious apps were found in the lifestyle category, which we all use, such as music apps and audio book apps and things to that nature. Hence, use of these third-party apps, which are not made by the manufacturer of mobile devices, when downloaded can infect your smartphone or tablet with malicious software. So that coupled with all the information we share with various entities, when we have to provide all of our personal information for accounts and so on and so forth, which usually includes your name, address, phone number, credit card information, birthday, or social security number, this puts all your information in harm's way due to data breaches of those organizations. Hence, if an organization has your information, a cyber criminal may be able to access it. The United States is the number one target for targeted attacks, and according to a study from Juniper Research, cyber criminals will steal approximately 33 billion records in 2023. So this is obviously a burgeoning and growing problem for just about everybody in the world, and especially for people in the United States. 
Why did this happen to me? During this very terrifying and nerve-wracking experience, I was trying to figure out how someone could have gotten access to my usernames, my passwords, and my PIN numbers. I felt very violated, and I ultimately discovered that my personal email account had been hacked and my private information was being sold on the dark web repeatedly. How did I get to this point? There's a number of reasons why I got to this point, and a lot of them really had to do with me not being as uh, responsible, perhaps, or as careful as I could have been. It could be related to my debit card being compromised in January of 2019. This involved a series of charges on my debit card that occurred within a 36-hour period that far exceeded all limits. Further, my bank's fraud department didn't notify me of this, However, I did get a call that looked like it was from my bank. Their phone number and name popped up on my phone screen, but it was not actually my bank calling me. The bank number had been spoofed, which means that a hacker impersonates another user on a network in order to steal data, spread malware, or bypass access controls. So it looks like it's the bank, but it's not the bank. It's really a fraudster. Although I didn't give the fraudster impersonating a bank employee any personal information, they apparently already had it. So already there had been some breach of my information, possibly through the bank. I had a very easy password to my personal email address that did not include special symbols or capital letters. And I had been using this email password for approximately nine years. And to compound the problem, I used that same password for many of my other accounts. I also used the same PIN number for multiple accounts, including my Verizon account and my bank account. So as you can see, once they knew that one PIN number, they were able to unlock the keys to the kingdom. And I have to tell you, I feel like an idiot just telling you that, but it's the truth. That is what I was doing. I did not routinely update my personal computer at home when I got notifications to do so. I put it off and then I ultimately forgot. I routinely used the internet in hotels and in airports, which is totally unsecured and a hacker's delight. So never use either of those to internet systems, just don't do it. I didn't use two-step authentication when possible, and you should definitely do that if that is an offer. In the blog, I put um, a compilation of short videos that if you happen to check out the blog, click on that link because it's really interesting. You actually see a person doing a spoof phone call and also changing over a mobile phone account number to herself, even though she's not the real owner of it. Very, very interesting video. So how did I fix this? What to do when something like this happens and just totally rocks your world and turns it upside down? At the Bonson Group, we recommend a cybersecurity company called Global Guardian to our clients for proactive protection of their cybersecurity. I immediately called Global Guardian because I didn't really know what else to do and I wasn't sure exactly how all this information got hacked into. And they came to my home to evaluate my home system and to evaluate if I had been compromised. Well, my home system had been compromised. And even though I had just moved a few weeks earlier, I purchased a new router at that time. Global Guardian told me that this new router was already compromised. I hadn't even lived there two weeks yet. So I obviously had to set up a whole new system and buy all new equipment. Through the email hack, my systems had been totally infected. Global Guardian helped me to set up a new system, shared with me best practices regarding all things cybersecurity, 
and I retained Global Guardian now to essentially encrypt my home computer system, my laptop, and they also monitor all my monthly traffic coming in and out of all of these various pieces of equipment that I have to block any suspicious activity which may be coming into the system. Due to the upheaval in my life, due to this compromise, I decided that I needed the extra protection and I was willing to pay a monthly fee for that protection. But there are things that you can do without going to that extreme. The first thing is isolate. If something like this happens to you, immediately reach out to all the credit agencies, banking institutions, investment accounts, and credit card accounts, and freeze or close these accounts. I immediately closed my bank account and I changed banks altogether and froze my credit agency accounts. When you freeze your credit agency accounts, the freeze can be lifted when needed. So although it's a little bit of a hassle, it's certainly worth it because you can monitor who's trying to open a credit card in your name or a mortgage or whatever, uh, bank borrowings. So it's essential. I've left all of these things frozen and I don't intend to lift it. Research the scope of the problem. How would they have gained access? Try to go through all the things that you've done, what passwords you've used, have you repeatedly used them, do you only have one email address, and do you use it for everything that you do. Deny would be the second thing you need to do. Change passwords on all accounts. If your email account has been hacked, delete it and set up a new one, even if it is inconvenient. I deleted my personal email account, just got rid of everything in it, deleted the name on it, and I've set up various other email accounts in different aliases that are not related to my name. Now I have an email account that I use for shopping online. I have one that I use for bill payment. I have one that I use for personal emails. That way I'm kind of spreading the love around and they can't necessarily link things back to my name. So after you change passwords and delete your email, place fraud alerts on your existing institutions and accounts, and they'll send you text messages or emails. Set up or add notifications at your financial institutions, card not present transactions, online transactions, transactions over a certain limit. File reports with your local police station. I had to go to my local police station and file a report about exactly what happened. In fact, I actually got a phone call from the sheriff yesterday following up again to tell me that they were continuing to look into the porting of my phone number and they were trying to track down the person in Miami who was the receipt of a fraudulent wire from one of my accounts. So definitely go to the police station that is your local police station and file a report and you may need that for your bank if you have had money taken out to get money back to you. I was instructed to file a police report, and the bank requested a copy of that police report. And then the other thing you should do is monitor. Sign up for credit online activity monitoring. There are services like LifeLock. Frequently monitor your account history. Go into your credit cards. Look through your bill, you know, the various debits on your account. Make sure you know where money is being spent. Access your detailed credit reports, which are free from the three major bureaus, and reconcile information. So I pay a monthly fee to have access to all three credit reports. That way I can keep watch on anything that is going on. Nothing should be going on because all those reports are now frozen, but I still like to monitor it now. So how can anyone be proactive and prevent this from happening? Don't be lazy like I was keep, and keep everything simple. I wanted a simple life, so I just had one password for everything. Not a good idea. 
Global Guardian suggested that I use a password management tool, so I now use LastPass as my password manager generator, and it has a low monthly fee. It also has a free trial period, but what it does is it will generate random passwords with symbols, numbers, letters, uppercase, lowercase, and it keeps it all in a very secure vault, so you only need to really know one password, which is the password for LastPass. Most consumers also have access to other helpful tools through their phones. There's the iCloud Keychain, Samsung Pass. These are other examples of ways that you can try to have various passwords that are not all the same and have you know, a lot of different numbers and symbols. Set up two-factor authorization and alerts for as many services as possible. The more complicated the security system we have in place, the harder our accounts are to access. Be very wary of online autofill settings. So if they gain access to your credentials through your computer, they will get the keys to the kingdom. That is what happened to me. I frequently use those. Uh, you know, the computer says, do you want the computer to save your password? And I said, yes. Now I say never. So don't ever autofill and don't save it to your computer. Do not use the same email address for all things. As I mentioned before, I have now created several new email addresses for different activities. Um, I have an email address that's dedicated simply to online shop shopping. One is for bill payment, so on and so forth. Don't use personal identifiers in the email address. Use aliases. And consider using a throwaway email for subscriptions and memberships and things where you're going to get a lot of junk mail. Limit the value of the information you give away to non-essential institutions. Not everyone needs to know your phone number. They may have a space for your phone number, but you don't necessarily have to put it in. And just give as little information as possible. I mean, I at this point don't like to give anyone my address or my phone number. So if I absolutely have to, I will. But if it's non-essential, I do not do it. Limit the information that you make publicly available. Social engineering is an ongoing concern, and people make it too easy to become familiar with their habits, movements, hobbies, personal lives. You know, even through online shopping or Facebook, Instagram, people are monitoring all those things. So think twice before you post things. Think twice before you post that you're going away or you're, you know, maybe showing something that you just bought that was very expensive. They can kind of profile you from these things. So be very circumspect. Trust but verify. Most of us are too smart to send money to a stranger, but the moment we see a familiar number or email, we will probably go ahead and forget some common sense and just go for it. So if an email from a family member is received asking for money or a friend, give them a call or use another means to verify the request. Verify through multiple sources before taking any action when sending money or divulging information. And as I said earlier, do not use the Wi-Fi in a hotel or the airport. These are unsecured networks and hackers have a field day wandering around them. Use a mobile hotspot or you can get one of these Verizon Ellipsis jetpacks or something similar to that. That's what I use. And you can keep it way more secure by keeping it within your own system. So what's the upshot? Be vigilant. Cybersecurity breaches are going to continue and affect an increasing number of people. It's worth the extra time that it takes to set up all these precautions that I've just mentioned against possible breaches. I'm begging you to please learn from my mistakes. This whole thing took about three months to resolve. I'm still resolving some of it. I still don't know where my iTunes are because it was linked to my old email address and 
my old credit card number and I have to call Apple and I don't have the time to do it. So all those kinds of things, just it's just a mountain of things that you have to change and it's, it's just an absolute hassle. That's it from the Fiscal Feminist. I'd like to give special thanks to Kenny Molina, who's an associate here at the Bonson Group, for helping me with research and for his collaboration with me on this article. That's it for now from the Fiscal Feminist. Hopefully I'll be back to you sooner than I was last time because I'm hoping I won't have another cybersecurity breach. Thank you for listening to the Fiscal Feminist, a conversation about women, money, and priorities. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.